Keeping it honest. You are fake news. Keeping it real. I want to smoke some pot. And keeping it libertarian. I'm a libertarian for life. These are the Fakertarians. There's no video of President Trump sucking a ding-dong. And so what if there was? Well, and that's the exact point. What if there was? I don't care who has photos of whom sucking on ding-dongs. This is the second voyage of the libertarians of the Fakertarians calling out all of the weirdness in the world and keeping people straight. Well, not straight like that. Here's John Hudak. Hey, guys. I'm John Hudak, along with Jeremy Kantorowitz and Brian Hagen. Today we have on Mike Shipley, who's a candidate for LNC chair that we've had a lot of run-ins with the past. So that should be a fun time. Yeah, it really should, uh, John. I'm looking forward to it. We've got Mike here right now. Jeremy uh, hanging out with us as well. I think we're in for a, a really good evening. And, uh, I mean, how have things been in, in your world there, John? Uh, pretty good. I mean, quarantine, but <laughs> things are starting to open back up a little bit. But who, who knows when any of this is going to go away. Hey, um, I need to – I know we didn't have this plan, but I just got a Facebook message from – you're never going to believe this. No. Sam Coppinger – has left us a voice memo. I don't know how oh. this is going to go because I know, you know Sam's a, a friend of the page, a friend of the group, and a friend of the show. And Sam, well, he's kind of a mess today, as we all know, because of well the the Amos situation. I don't I, I don't know what he has to say here, Sam. You're all a bunch of pathetic, delusional, selfish idiots with no grip on reality. And no care for anyone in the world but yourselves. You don't want to change anything. You don't actually care about kids in cages or innocent people on death row or homelessness or police brutality. You only care about your fucking selves and your own entertainment and self-righteousness. Regardless which camp you belong to, you all need help. And you should consider taking up a new hobby other than political activism. One under which you are the only one affected by your lunacy rather than billions of desperate, innocent people. Harumph. Wow. That was that was something. He's really terribly upset. I'm, I didn't know his voice okay. sounded like that. I didn't either. I've never heard him talk. <laughs> and there he is. You know, and, and in all fairness, we have to say, he, he's been crying a lot. And I'm sure there's been a whole lot of uh, sobs and everything. So his voice might be a little shot because he it just happens. said that like two minutes ago. So, well, I think we should all send a, a very warm, a warm hug out there to Sam Coppinger tonight, whose heart is broken. His heart is breaking and the tears are flowing because he lost his beloved Amash. Moment of silence. So you pronounce that. Press F. <laughs> yeah. Second of okay. silence. So, back into our actual show. I always yeah. thought it was Amish, like um, like the like the Amish, <laughs> like the buggy people, <laughs> the buggy people. All right, so so Mike, I'll just start off with this. What inspired you to run for LNC chair? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I think the most important, and I'm a human being, so there are lots of um, fantastic reasons, and. Um, I think we'll be touching on some uh, some stuff later in the show that was also part of my calculation. But um, the primary reason where I felt like, you know, like on the political sort of chessboard, like the tactical like benefit right now of someone like me 
as our chair is that we have this chance to make a new first impression. Um, progressive Democrats are the people that are the most unhappy right now. Trump's people are loving what they've got. Biden's people are loving what they've got. And um, progressive Democrats got left ass out. And so they're like looking around for things. So, you know, in times past, we might not have been well positioned to compete for progressive voters. But now that we have this awesome new working relationship between left and right libertarians and a whole bottom unity campaign and, you know, caucuses where they can land and feel at home um, while they get accustomed to, you know, being full-blown capitalist sympathizers like I am, you know, um, it's a good moment for that. So I decided to go ahead and run. So you kind of alluded to the Libsock caucus a bit. How do you feel Libsocks fit into the libertarian movement? Well, I don't even think it's a question of like, do they fit in? I feel like, um, you know, historically the roots of modern libertarianism are grounded in the same theories and the same ideas so um, it's really more like um, having the modern libertarian party become accustomed to what those critiques are, how do, that analysis works and why it does fit in. So I think the benefit that we bring is that, um, you know, the mainstream political system, the electoral left and right, um, they're playing a kind of good cop, bad cop routine and they're bouncing um, the general public back and forth. And so depending on which side is losing at any one moment, um, it's actually a kind of intellectual judo, let us say, that we can kind of show them the rhetorical front that would resonate, you know, with whoever's unhappy at the time. So I think it really strengthens us in a lot of ways. So a lot of our disagreements in the past have kind of come around uh, 2018 when Matt – okay, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name because I always get – I do this on like every podcast I'm on where I talk about him. I, it always looks like Kuno, but I hear it's Kino. Do, do, do you have Kino. any – Kino? Okay. So it was when, when Matt Kino was running for chair and we had the oh, whole thing where – We had the whole thing with uh, us arguing about that and then he eventually – went down the whole road with the tanky thing. Um, why do you think, since you were close with him at the time, why do you think Matt went down the road to authoritarianism? Mm. So this is helpful to understand um, just in general, um, especially for um, listeners who might not be familiar with all the intricate nuances of left libertarian theory. Um, it's really easy for, so in the U.S. in particular, um, most often the word socialism gets associated with the totalitarianism that unfolded in, um, you know, Soviet Russia and communist China. Um, and that's accurate, right? That allegedly, at least, um, those revolutions were driven by Marxist theory. Um, what's not immediately obvious, like from a distance, is that Marx's version of communism, like it stated a classless society as its outcome, right? Which would be an anarchist society. So Marx's Leninist theory, which is what started yielding these totalitarian governments, was the idea that a worker state was a necessary precursor to the anarchist society. So the big error in reasoning that Marx's Leninist 
are committing is thinking that a state would ever wither away. Like that just doesn't happen. They become a new ruling class. So that's the division between Marxist-Leninists and anarchists. And I told you that whole story. Hopefully you processed it because Marxist-Leninists are really good at blending in with anarchists and um, for recruitment purposes. And it's easy to get in their heads sometimes. And that's what happened to Matt. Somebody got in his head, convinced him that a worker state was the pathway to anarchy, and he drank the Kool-Aid. So when Matt was there, do you think the Libsock caucus had any sort of tanky problem? And I'm also curious if you think there still is any sort of one or if the or if that's been solved. No, we've so the tanky problem to the degree that it exists is because I mean I shouldn't even say that. Like it's real. Um, not so much in our caucus, but in the broader left, because um, the left in generally, in general, especially in U.S. politics, has been completely disenfranchised. So the electoral left is really like a moderate center right authoritarian party, um, and actual left ideas are just considered embarrassing or fridge. Or I mean, the farthest left we get is Bernie Sanders, and he's still pretty far right to an actual you know, left minded person. Um, so left unity is my point. There was this idea that left should work together, that they should downplay their differences, kind of like we get with quote, right unity, right? This idea that ANCAP should play down their differences with constitutionalists because it's all going to be magic after like we elect a constitutionalist and a uh, poof, don't worry, you'll get what you want in the end. And like, it never works out that way because Authority doesn't let go of power once it holds power. And so that is what happened in these historic revolutions. The Marxist-Leninist, the tanky faction, ends up murdering the anarchist faction. Um, and it never works out well. So left unity is an incoherent idea, but it's really popular because when you're really short on allies, there's a temptation to work with people that maybe you shouldn't, um, <laughs> which is what a lot of those people say about bot immunity. So here we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, it, so in the Libsock caucus in particular, and you're asking about like our early time. Um, yeah, like when, when Matt, well, some of it's about when Matt was there and some of, if you think if the problem's been gotten rid of or, or solved. Sure. So the vulnerability that left Matt exposed, and I mean, he's responsible for his own mistakes. So whatever, he went down a different path and I say good riddance, but um, you know, in the beginning, a lot of the people that flooded our discussion group were just operating from that standard left unity perspective. So the idea that we would bring the same kind of vigilance, like think about the way that we use the non-aggression principle to like, um, to do accountability work around Bill Weld, right? Like there's this way that we use principle in this party to like sort of fend off the status that, um, the left unity people were like, oh my gosh, how dare you attack our Marxist-Leninist comrades kind of thing. And there was a lot of that in the beginning. So like, as far as being a tanky problem, like that dynamic existed during that time. And that's how um, those people were in the group and, you know, Matt got exposed to them and, and everything else. But um, after a while of us being like, oh my gosh, they literally just converted one of our high profile people in a really embarrassing way. Um, that was pretty problematic. Um, you know, we need to do some work around this. And so we really 
emphasize bot immunity. And those of us who've been in the party for a while, we spoke out about different ANCAPs that we had worked with over the years and how, uh, you know, we felt comfortable continuing to do that. And of course that freaks out a lot of people who just run from the project at that point. And um, we ended up getting it under, I don't want to use the phrase under control because it's, it's a horizontal leaderless caucus, but um, we got it fixed. So I think I know the answer to this one, but if Matt were running today, would you support him? Well, no, because he's not, he's an anarchist or he's not an anarchist today. He's, he's something else. And those ideas are very dangerous and they don't lead to a world set free. And so that's not a train I want to be on. Makes sense. Mike, a question I have is, you know, why, why do you want this role? I mean, why, why do you think you're the one that should be selected to, to sit there as, as the chair? What, what do you think separates you for apart from, you know, the, your, your challengers? Well, I think we're all in the same boat, right? We're suffering under a giant totalitarian, near totalitarian. I guess it's not on paper totalitarian, but it's a pretty brutal police state imperial force that um, is extracting, you know, our wealth and our, our lives from us every day. Right. And, I actually want to, I believe that a world separate in our lifetimes, like that's what I signed up for. That's in our statement of principles. And like, I actually want that. And a lot of the misconceptions about this party um, that are standing in our way have to do with this idea that we're all like Ayn Rand worshiping people that, you know, just want to bulldoze the homeless people to make them go away. Or, you know, that we're Republicans who smoke pot when we're not busy marching with tiki torches. And, you know, for those of us who are active in the party, we know that that stereotype's not really true, but the trouble is that stereotype's out there and it's standing in our way. I'm sorry, but people are just not flocking to our party to be part of this weird right-wing fringe that they see or that they think they see. So for me, overcoming that stereotype and getting a new second chance to make a different impression and hopefully open up a different set of floodgates of recruitment. To me, that's a tactically, like that's a priority. Like we need to like get past that. And um, if I'm one of the people who's been organizing in this space for a while and um, people perceive me as capable of doing the the job, then I feel a sense of, I mean, because you asked, why do you want this? I mean, yeah. who the fuck would want this? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that my head. why do you even want the stress why do you want the drama you know that, that comes I mean, with it? no it's more like a sense of duty you know what i mean and on yeah. the subject of matt you know people were telling me they were suggesting in 2018 hey one of us should run it should be you and i was like no i'm not ready for that and then matt happened and i was like oh my god like I left a like hole in that space and someone filled it. And like, that was pretty embarrassing for all of us. It was a bit of a setback. I'm actually pretty grateful and actually surprised that we were able to recover from that because like, whoa. Right. So when I was thinking about it this time, that was part of my calculation. You know, I feel a sense of duty um, in these different ways. And, you know, sooner or later, at some point, your career or your activist career, such as it is, 
may carry you into, you know, deciding to run. And so this was my moment and here I am. And, you know, whether I win or lose, at least I can look back and I'll be like, no, it's your turn now. You get to run. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I really do think that like, it would be good for this party if I won. I wouldn't be running. um, Like I'm not just here to be a symbolic lip sock or I'm not just here because people pressured me um, or to be the anti-mat. Like, I really think that would be best for the party. So there's definitely that. Mike, you, you mentioned that people aren't flocking to the party for the pot-smoking Republican sort of element or, or the more fringe on the right over there. But what, what what do we do with those folks, especially the ones who you know wear that banner of libertarian quite proudly, but at the same time are threatening individual rights and individual freedoms to, to make individual choices? Uh, for you, for example, they probably think you're some sort of an SJW with your hair. How do you um, connect with that element? What do you say to them? Wait, I, can you repeat the question? Yeah, how do you handle that element of of the right? That, that element, like, yeah, that element, like the moderates, like the quasi conservative, maybe still holding a twinge of authoritarian leanings. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the, the fringe ones, the ones who actually claim to be libertarian. Okay, Dave, the Dave Smith types, or the people with yeah. the t- Dave Smith like, types. Yeah. <laughs> Dave libertarians. That's what I'm getting at here. Well, libertarians. I, I'll give you. I'll I'll frame it around bond immunity. Unity is not uniformity, um, but it is a single issue line on, on anti-authoritarianism. So, to the degree that people aren't really um, fully in tune with. Um, what that means when you apply anti-authoritarianism across the board, then, um, you know, increasingly uh, back in the Bill Weld era, like it was all like, you've got your non-aggression principle, like a sword and you're just slashing people to death with it. If they deviate even a tiny bit, because, um, the, you know, the, the statist hordes are invading our party and like, that's a problem. Right. But now that like unity has helped me reframe how I think about it, um, it doesn't diminish the way that like it makes my skin crawl. Um, but it, it puts me in a headspace where I'm, I'm more kind of like, it's more situational, you know, because I think back to my journey as a liberal Democrat and waking up in this party and being reluctant to let go of the idea of public schools, for instance, that was an idea that I held on to for a while. I thought that if we didn't educate people, then they would be dumb and if they were dumb, then they wouldn't make smart choices when they, when they voted. <laughs> and then I finally, <laughs> no, it's, it's the third idea. Like that's what the schools are doing. Right. And so it took me about a year, maybe 18 months for that critique to really sink in. Right. So like during that time, would I really want to become the target of my own, like, you know, animosity i don't know that i would right but i also know that the people around me giving me space to be wrong allowed me to be a successfully retained person and i guess where i'm going with that is retention so i'm balancing the idea that like if we're actively educating people and in good faith they're engaging with the ideas that i'm less prone to kind of like attack them than someone that i i feel like some people dig in their heels like Matt did that or um, even people like, um, I don't know. I'm not going to name a right wing person, honestly, like 
<laughs> oh, you all on, you can. Actually, you all have been doing a good job fighting your own battles lately. I haven't really had to, so there's not any. <laughs> you know, if if they're trying to change us, then that needs to be dealt with. But a lot of times they're really not. They're just confused, and I'm a lot more okay with that these days. That's kind of what I was getting at. I wondered what, you know, you'd take as far as, you know, just name calling goes, but you know what that message would be. So, well, you sold me, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm curious about some of the nuances of your views, because I know there's been a lot of talk that some of the people don't understand Libsock views and things like that. And I mean, I've been guilty of that. I still have some issues with some of them, but I, I think there are times where people misrepresent them and all that. So should I be able to hire someone to work for me voluntarily if they choose to do so? So if someone wants to like submit to exploitation, then who am I to stop them? But I think that, um, you know, if you think about it, like any other libertarian idea that we have, we are having to convince them why is homeschooling or you know, independent schooling. Why is that better than a public school? Like we're teaching them to like voluntarily want that. So for me, the narrative about like worker ownership and the relationship of the worker to um, the workplace and um, institutions of financial control and, and all of those things, like that's ultimately about um, teaching people why um, it's better to keep all of your money than to let someone else keep a whole bunch of it and call that freedom, right? Like that's really an educational um, track more so than like a prohibition is obviously not a libertarian solution. There's not going to be a person who's going to like swoop in and like murder everyone in the workplace if they're not, you know, functioning the way that we think they should. Right. So my goal would be to like live in a world where people have the self-respect to say, Hey, um, we supposedly negotiated for our wage, but you actually just told me what my wage was and um, we didn't negotiate that, right? Like having the self-respect to actually say that and stand up to it and like decline to participate if that negotiation wasn't real, like that is a big part of it. And we actually, that's what the IWW, which is a radical union that rejects state collaboration and operates directly in the workplace to democratize them. That's what the IWW does. That's in fact, that idea is called class consciousness. When the, the individuals recognize um, their own power and decide to actually take it back. Okay. Like I'm an NCAP and I wouldn't have any problem with that if it's done voluntarily. I mean, I think we have some different ideas on what is exploitation and what's not, but if people want to make their own choices, I'm, I'm good with it. Um, another one I had, should someone be allowed to rent their house out to someone else in exchange for money? So this is another one where, um, <laughs> rent is theft was the famous <laughs> slogan. We, we have some arguments about that. <laughs> right. And you know, it's not the job of the chair of the party to tell you what you should think about rent or which slogans to get excited about. Um, so there's that, but, um, I made an analogy to like the gas tax on another podcast. I think I'll bring that back. Like when I go to the pump um, and I put gas in my car, supposedly I've made a voluntary transaction with circle K or whatever it is, you know, um, the shell station to buy gas. But what's packed into that 
price that I pay is a whole bunch of taxes, right? So the price of the gas I pay contains a portion of theft, right? But does that, so is that transaction really voluntary or not? I'm not voluntarily paying the majority of that portion, but the exchange masks itself as voluntary, right? I got to pick which gas station, right? I got to pick which grade of gasoline. Um, so, but the portion between the real price and the inflated price is theft. So if the slogan was like, gas is theft, you could run around and be like, oh no, I got to pick where I bought my gas. It's totally voluntary. But like, that would be false because there's a bunch of theft in that transaction. And um, it's important to realize that. So that was going on with the rent is theft thing. So first I want to make that like understood. The, the critique of land titles is about the state controlling the supply of which land is, is represented by a title and therefore, therefore can be traded on the marketplace. So if the state can restrict the supply, then the value is inflated. And the difference between the, the natural price and the inflated price is that. So the slogan doesn't do a good job of, of explaining that nuance. So with all of that said, um, yes, rent is theft in the current marketplace. Um, in a world set free, um, because we would be experiencing so much prosperity and our housing prices would not be nearly so inflated, the likely outcome is that most people would actually be able to experience ownership and would probably choose to do so. If um, home ownership is such a part of the American dream, although I'm told, oh, lots of people must love renting because it's such a great deal. And that's why there's so much renting. Like, I'm not sure I buy that because, hmm. you know, obviously ownership is better than not ownership. That's why property rights are like an important thing, right? And so anyway, my point is in a world set free, if they, people still needed short-term housing, like for a vacation, like an Airbnb type thing, of course that's going to still happen. Like it would need to happen. So in that case, then rent doesn't necessarily qualify as theft. So the answer to your question circling back around in that case would be yes. Yes, you can. Okay. <laughs> that's actually really, I mean, that's, it, it's, I've never heard it explained that way. I mean, cause you hear, you know, all oh, rent is theft. And then that immediately turns off anybody who's, you know, a, you know, more capitalist minded type person, you know, it's like, oh, that's a voluntary transaction. And, um, but you know, the way that you kind of explained it actually doesn't sound that much different from even a, you know, capitalist argument. Um, yeah. Without the state, there's going to be, you know, much more opportunity for, more housing, um, different types of housing. You know, there's just so many more options without that restriction and and driven up price by the state that you know, people are going to be a lot more free to yeah own or um, you know if they do want to rent, they probably are going to pay a pretty or a much smaller price than what they're paying now. Um, so it's yeah, it's interesting that it you know almost sounds the same as you know the arguments that you know that a more capitalist person would have about, about um, the housing market. Well, yeah, it's pretty much a standard free market, like analysis. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's just, and John said this up front too, there's such a rush to judgment, I think on behalf of so many. And, and I think that goes not to pull a Trump, but both sides, very good people on both sides, but <laughs> 
but really both sides do have something to do with that when you're running around screaming you know rent is theft and then the other side is screaming sjw commie or whatever there's no time for the actual to, to get out of the soundbite and the sloganeering there's no time to get into the heart of the discussion and that's what i've been finding too mike is when you really get down into that heart you find so much commonality there yes well i will have to say that um I lived through basically an entire year of my life where I woke up in the morning and I spent all day, every day trying to explain that. So the fact that I just was able to boil that down into, you know, like a two minute soundbite (laughs) of so much repetition um, that I'm really glad to hear someone say, wow, that made sense because (laughs) I remember it being like, you know, those ideas were, unfamiliar in a sense to me at first too, because, you know, I had like, I'd read about these ideas. I'm like, that makes sense to me, you know, but in the libertarian party, that wasn't a priority. So I never really had to like find the vocabulary and like express it in great detail. So I don't know what I'm saying other than yay. (laughs) I mean, I feel like a lot of the problem at the time was, people like Matt running around and saying landlords need to be lined up against the wall and stuff like that. Like, I just feel like that kind of cut off a lot of the discourse. Yeah. I think that he really reveled in people's terror, which probably a a signal of what he would be prone to later. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I remember at the time thinking, so this is kind of sad for me because Matt was like a, like a protege. Like I, I, developed him as an activist he was really good at um like getting attention and focusing the conversation in a new place right when the conversation tries to snap back to like these these old ideas like matt would like get attention and make sure that we were talking about something new and different and that was really helpful at the time so watching him kind of turn to the dark side like it was kind of like the Jedi apprentice that I ended up having to like kill, <laughs> which is really sad. But, um, but my point is he showed a lot of promise and, you know, he was anarchist back in the day. So I don't know if you ever, someone will probably send him this link and be like, Mike Shipley just talked a bunch of shit about you. And, you know, I don't know what to say other than like, um, I still wish him the best, but you know, Marxist Leninism does not work in the Libertarian Party. And I'm not going to go along with like getting stood up against a wall and murdered and told that like I was counter revolutionary. Like, fuck that. <laughs> I think he's really anti anarchist now from the stuff I've seen. And it's, it's a lot of stuff like in favor of the the uh, Chinese leadership and like like some revisionist North Korea stuff going around now. Oh, All right. Well. I guess when the revolution happens, we'll find out who wins. <laughs> the North Korean apology is just so interesting to me. I, I have watched people just run circles in their brains trying to explain how they can put those two aspects together and, and come out looking sane. And it's just maddening to me. It's talk about authoritarianism and, and how do you, there's no way, there's no way that's compatible at all. And it just kicked the tankies out. He right. the tankies. <laughs> like, every historical example we've 
that, w- that we always have to answer for. And, and, you know, I mean, this is true for all of the ideologies, like in their pure form, they're always libertarian because people want to be free. Like they're sick of being dominated and it's been going on for thousands of years. And, you know, then there's like the authoritarian perversions of those ideas. So like the modern sort of corporation state that we're living under is allegedly a capital, a classical liberal um, government, right? It grew out of the constitution it grew out of the American revolution. Supposedly, you know, this is our, you know, constant, you know, and it's not, it's a complete perversion of classical liberal ideas that were very anti-authoritarian and, you know, very much against having an entrenched aristocracy. Um, I forgot what my point was, but we have so much more in common with all the ideologies across the bottom, like that impulse is there. And then I think this was my point, although I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) There's all these like authoritarian, like mirror images of them is my point. And like, historically we see that again and again. And it's the same with like looking at North Korea and trying to see, um, like a classless society in that. Are you kidding me? Like on what planet is that ever going to wither away? Like they're they're just died and you know, they're, they're going to pick the next one. Like who's going to pick apparently the military leaders. Like what does that tell you about that structure? Yeah. The daughter of course, or the niece or whoever it is. So it's, it's like, (laughs) not not only is it not a classless society, but it's also uh, basically um, a monarchy, right? Mm-hmm. A hereditary or aristocracy, however you want to put it. Like, it's just gross. So a fantastic place for the Liberty Hangout crew to go and live. <laughs> yeah. It really yeah. is. It's, yeah. It sounds like, I mean, if, if, if Kim, Kim Jong-un was Catholic, uh, Justin <laughs> would be, would be flying straight there. Is yeah, there you know, Justin, at least they changed their name finally. That's that's a good yeah. They went to like they went to like monarchy hangout and now they're like Catholic hangout or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's, up, it's see what they've done. I mean, they are just isolating everyone yeah. at this point with <laughs> what they're posting over there, and it. I, I don't think the Catholics are happy with them. I, I I'm watching this little implosion with great delight. <laughs> oh, they're Trump hangout now. Oh, are they? Yep, they're Trump hangout now, and um, and it looks like uh, they've got a picture of Trump as their their king, um, and it is not going over well. <laughs> I mean, that sounds about right. Like, I kind of I could have predicted that back when we made the Fakertarians page. Like, that was like the whole point. That's why we have that Trump cover photo. It's just it's because of Liberty Hangout, and that's why our logos like that. Yeah, and apparently the death of America has been directly linked to the invention of skinny jeans. I read that last night, and I, I, I tweeted at them, and I just simply said, "Is this honestly what you sit and think about all day?" I mean, I don't know if they're based or if they're trolling at this point, or if they're just absolutely nuts. I can't decide or determine or if it's a combination of all of those. Well, I mean, supposedly Justin's sober. Like he doesn't, he doesn't drink or do any, do any kind of thing. I don't know what's getting into his head. Oh, no wonder he's so boring. (laughs) (laughs) Look what what happened to Cantwell after, after he went sober. I mean, he (laughs) turned into a Nazi. (laughs) That is true. I mean, Drunken Cantwell was a, a violent loudmouth, but he wasn't right. a Nazi yet. I mean, he, he wasn't. He was just a 
dumb babbling idiot who i honestly some of his stuff was decent his little his little writings you know good good and cap for beginners type stuff but then he stopped doing drugs and then turned into a nazi so clearly being sober just messes with you so i guess what you're saying there jeremy is kids do drugs so you won't be a nazi there we go is that a good fair quote because that that is um that seems to be the takeaway what's great is later we will see on twitter that 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 disgusting little pocket that slimy filthy little pocket of i don't even know who they are they they have people Oh, the frog people. They have frog people, the frog people, and they'll be saying, Did you hear that? Acretarian told kids to do drugs. That's not <laughs> no, no. Uh, drug obviously obviously if you don't want to do drugs, don't do drugs. If you do uh, drugs, you're if you stop doing drugs, you're not gonna become a Nazi. That's obviously not the case. But it'll just be really boring. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be boring, kids. Okay, how do we segue out of that? <laughs> drugs. drugs. Uh-oh, the libertarians <laughs> talked about drugs. Uh-oh. Um, no, we did it. Um, you know, obviously, you you know, you do you, and there's nothing wrong with sobriety. Um, but uh, we did have a couple of questions from from people in the um, in the chat. Um, it's, yes, asked, um, yeah. Anarchists of the past were, you know, kind of driven by workers' rights. That's you know, where a lot of a lot of it came from. Um, you know, a lot of anarchists now generally are more driven by you know, non aggression. Um, I guess, kind of wondering, you know, is is there, um, you know, is is capitalism okay for for you, Mike? I, I know you said something about being a capitalist sympathizer earlier, and you know how. You know, how does somebody like, you know, me or, you know, even John, um, you know, who would more identify with capitalism, um, you know, are you okay with that or do you abolish that um, in, your, in your perfect world? Um, and if so, I mean, if you could, if the answer is yes, then, I mean, how do you go about doing something like that? Um, so the first great question, there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) First thing I would think is that, um, we're already familiar in, um, sort of right libertarian rhetoric about this focus on like the entrepreneur and why sort of self-sufficiency is a pathway to financial independence and why that's a good thing and why, um, how that links to property rights and like the fruits of your labor and why that's um, a thing to encourage. Right. And having the state get involved and make it difficult to start a business such that everyone is sort of, um, you know, the corporations grow larger and the mom and pops grow smaller and fewer. Um, If you just take out entrepreneur and replace it with worker, Um, you have the same idea, right? So the idea of the worker-owned cooperative um, is about kind of displacing those vertical structures that are centralizing wealth and replacing them with horizontal ones that preserve the link between the individual and the fruits of their labor so that um, the sort of entrepreneurial benefits um, are, are distributed to all. 
And that's a common misconception because um, it's not about distributing the resources. It's about distributing the opportunity and um, the fact that property is connected to um, the entrepreneurial spirit, let's say, um, is just a, a byproduct. It's like a benefit and like it's the primary benefit. Um, so there's that. Um, with that said, the whole like historic focus of the worker, it was very like, um, because remember these ideas were gaining steam at the end of the 19th century. So it was really classical liberalism gave us the constitution and then they had a few years to look at like why, what was still wrong with that. And then that anti-authoritarian impulse started to generate a new wave of thinking. And that was the anarchism of the late 19th century. So these critiques about the worker, remember that they, um, the industrial revolution was happening at the same time. So that's why we see these fo- critiques that are focused around the factory worker and, um, you know, those sort of, manufacturing processes that we had before technology existed. So a lot of what is being talked about today is that um, the worker ownership theory like so needs an upgrade because um, technology and digital tools have like changed our relationship with um, the means of production. Again, like think of a YouTube star, are they, you know, controlling their own means of production in a lot of ways. Yes. But um, then there's the platform and is the platform a product of capitalism and how does that work? And, you know, even think about like ride sharing apps, like Uber, like there's such a, a, an analysis to be had about whether the intellectual property control that it gives them over the app is really justifiable versus like another kind of app where, um, like, why can't I just log in and drive my car and share rides and get paid for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why isn't that happening? Well, because the state used liability and insurance requirements to make it so the central body has to, like, protect us all from the predators using the ride-sharing app to – I don't know. Anyway, it was a scare tactic, too. So anyway, I'm rambling um, because you asked about – what did you ask about? Oh, <laughs> uh, let me find out. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, is there how did what's the place of the capitalist thinker within that right yeah. i think so yeah like um you know is you know are you okay with you know kind of a, a capitalist society or should that be abolished um you know if so how yeah. would you even abolish that i mean okay I, so inadvertently i think i came to the perfect like conclusion which is that those old labels aren't like as helpful today as they were you know 100 or 200 years ago because the economy is different now. And I think probably one of the, now that I'm thinking about it, one of the real benefits of a, a bottom unity sort of dialogue that's unfolding is that we can synthesize these ideas and think about which ones make sense, especially in the context of things like crypto currency and, and other crypto blockchain technologies um, and come up with like something modern that actually works for the future. Like, so I, I don't, I think we need to make the state obsolete. I don't think there's a way to like um, prohibit it. Like prohibition isn't the way forward because that's an authoritarian tactic. So ultimately what we're trying to um, sort of invite people to do is to take um, their power back and use it in more ethical ways and be more vigilant about 
when they choose to consent um, and when they choose to, you know, operate of their own agency. And I think together we'll get there. So as far as bottom unity goes, um, are you worried at all about the willingness of LibSox to work with ANCAPs? Because some of the, I mean, so I've had good conversations with LibSox before, but then there's the other ones that are, will say like, I'm a fascist and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was just wondering, like, do you run into a lot of that or, or no? Um, I mean, a little bit. I don't worry about it in terms of maybe like capital L organizing so much because I think we can see the benefits within um, at least like on the electoral landscape, it's a numbers game. And if we can increase in numbers, I think we can all see why that's a good thing. Um, but not everybody wants to join the party. Right. And um, there's lowercase libertarians like across the spectrum. Um, and you're right. There is like a deep distrust of anyone who self-identifies as capitalist. And I think a lot of those language barriers are, 98% linguistic and there's maybe 2% where um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I assigning correct proportions to those numbers, <laughs> um, but there's also like not just the word capitalism and socialism, but there's also the, whether we use the word private or personal property and that can trigger people. Um, and then there's like, the constant there's like the conditioning of the fact that we all live under a state and the way that we do things in that state are constantly being reinforced. Like when I think about housing or I think about the trades that I make in the marketplace, I'm always, I'm so accustomed to the way I do things that I make the mistake of using those as points of reference when we're talking about a world set free. I don't know if I'm making sense, but like, so if, in other words, if I'm a grassroots like ANCAP and I'm, I'm self-identifying as a capitalist and I'm talking about private property, um, it's really easy for my speech to carry assumptions that are really built around the existence of a land titling monopoly, for instance, when in actuality, if that land titling monopoly didn't exist, um, even just the like the processes it just it wouldn't be the same it wouldn't sound the same it would be different and we don't have to be afraid of that but if i'm like a libsock person who's not on board with bottom unity and thinks that the you know the libertarian party was a coke funded front group and it was it was a shill group all along it, it's it's never been anything but a giant trick um then i'm going to be very skeptical and i'm going to be overly sensitive to rhetoric that sounds unfamiliar to me, right? Like I'm not going to want to translate that or do the labor to translate it or even understand why I should. Um, and do I wonder about that? Yeah, because there's a lot more leftists that aren't in this party <laughs> than that are. And almost all of their figurehead organizers are outside this party. And a lot of them don't trust this project. Um, so there's also that. But um, I think within the party, like it's growing and it's changing things. And, you know, I hope that it sticks. Nice. I mean, like I didn't do this because it was fun. Um, I did it because I thought that like it would actually help the world be a better place. So um, 
I don't know. It's kind of like, sometimes I'm just like, you know what? If people can't like get on board with an awesome idea, then, you know, I guess we'll have to wait for another person to have an awesome idea in the future. But for me, it makes sense to try to unite anti-authoritarians. So um, I'm going to stick with that. So how do you feel about the current crop of uh, libertarian presidential candidates? I mean, I, I know Justin Amash just left today and that I feel like that kind of creates like a big hole. Cause I, I feel like, I, I don't know exactly who I'm, I haven't endorsed anyone or anything except spike for VP cause spike for everything. But um, <laughs> I, I feel like there's kind of a lot of uncertainty around who the presidential candidate's going to be right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say that before Amash jumped in and the two front runners were um, Vermin and Hornberger. Um, it was kind of interesting because, um, well, first of all, it was exciting because for for the first time, basically the two radical factions were the front runners, and the the pragmatists were kind of scrambling to play catch up. Like, and that was kind of cool. Um, it showed that. Um, the anti-authoritarian spirit overall had like been snowballing and strengthened. That was really cool. And then it was kind of fun because, you know, having those sort of archetypes of each camp be in competition while simultaneously trying to maintain like a bottom unity, like to have that not break down into like open, you know, verbal warfare was kind of interesting. And I'm not sure. Um, Cause like just underneath the surface, there's the fact that just two years ago, like we all like hated each other. Right. Um, and so it's really easy for that to come back to the surface. So my point being when Amaz jumped into the race, it was so funny because all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I could totally live with Hornberger. Like compared to Amash, that's like a really like, you know, and I, I think vice versa, you know, I would rather have either of those two like genuine radical libertarian voices than, you know, a statist constitutionalist sort of, you know, savior from the, from the outside, you know, swoop in and steal our nomination again, you know, suddenly my point being, it made Hornberger look relatively like desirable by comparison. So that was kind of interesting. <laughs> and now Amash is gone and um, we get to go back to being the front runners. And that's, that's cool. It feels comfortable and sort of, and healthy. Like, I think that in our party, she, we should be competing for our own ballot line. Like it is the product of our labor. And one of us should be on that ballot line benefiting from its value. So um, I'm excited to see where that goes. Are you, do you consider yourself a vermin Supreme supporter or, or are you not taking a side being mm-hmm. a chair candidate? I mean, you know, chair people are supposedly neutral, but I think that went out the window a while ago. Um, I'm definitely willing to work with whoever gets nominated because, um, you know, this is bigger than, you know, me getting my way, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a vermin fan. You know, I think if you look at the history of my organizing and, you know, with the povertarians and um, the audacious caucus and all of that, like he fits that mold and he really was recruited by um, actually Des Lindsay did that actual recruitment. Um, but he really embodies what we had been saying. Um, and he's doing a really good job of it. He's really, I think, making us proud and vindicating these ideas that seem so strange, you know, 
a couple of years ago. Why would you attack respectability? I mean, who wouldn't want? I mean, if you would wear a suit, like that's just normal. Everyone wears a suit. What kind of a person doesn't wear a suit to run for an office? You know what I mean? And like now we see that that can be, it can work. You know, it wouldn't work for everybody, but it works for some people. And Berman's one of them. I hate suits. I really do. <laughs> I, I get that. I mean, honestly, John, I, I, I kind of screwed up tonight. I'm actually wearing sleeves tonight for some hey. reason. I, I don't know why that happened. <laughs> I would much rather never wear sleeves, let alone have to put on some suit and tie just to to meet some sort of strange societal norm of like the banking industry. I don't know. There's a conspiracy to be had there somewhere. If I were to follow that <laughs> off you know, far enough down the line, but I, I do, I, I, I don't know. That's, that's a big thing for me too. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with you on that, Mike. I'm, I'm not going to be impartial at all. I really like vermin Supreme. I like what he's doing. I've had a lot of libertarians lob at me, but, but he has a boot on his head and I law back. He's got a boot on his head. I mean, that's something to be proud of because I, I think in this day and age, if ever there was a time for a vermin supreme, it's got to be now. I mean, we have a president who thinks he's a reality TV show star and doesn't realize that he's actually doing real harm to real people. And people seem to be eating that crap up. So let's put somebody like that out there. Let's talk about ponies. Let's talk about cheesy bread and all of that. And maybe just maybe win this reality show that's a freaking election. Right. And I mean, I really... So when we went to the Philadelphia um, State Party Convention, um, I showed up a day early to... Um, I don't know. We did some some touristy stuff. And then Vermin had an appearance. He actually had two appearances and we went to this coffee shop and it was full of like all of these left anarchists that like think the party is a Coke chill group, like stereotypical blue floppy hair, um, SJWs that like you would think this party could never appeal to. I'm we're talking fair trade coffee shop. They only sell organic beanies in the little, like, you know, merch area, the whole nine yards. Um, and it was packed full of people that were just so excited to hear from Furman. He did his his presentation. He owned the Libertarian Party in the sense that he openly invited them to join. He, like, led with the fact that, like, the concerns are valid. And I understand what you think about this party after, you know you know, decades of existence, you have ideas about it, but I promise you, I've been working with them for a while and they're not what you think. And I really would love it if you all gave them a second chance because I'm running for this nomination because I believe in it. And they were like nodding and smiling, like totally buying it. And, you know, I can't even get that much like traction from a left audience like that, you know? <laughs> His art and his satire really buys a kind of, you know, it's a ticket into spaces that we will never get into with like a purely economic sort of think tank presentation. Like, and that I think is really important to understand how valuable that is. I personally haven't decided if I'm going to be making an endorsement or anything, but I will say Vermin's definitely on my radar. 
Um, I'm, I've, I'm a big Spike fan too, so that's, that definitely helps out a lot. I've already endorsed Spike for whatever he wants to run for. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, Spike's really – I like Spike too. <laughs> Yeah, and I've I've I haven't voted for a president since Nixon. <laughs> Nixon, yes, Nixon. Uh, yeah, that was yeah, Nixon. Um, gosh, I think I think I last voted in two thousand eight. I think I voted for whoever the libertarian was at the time, but I haven't voted since then. But um, you know, I it's. Vermin definitely appeals to me. Um, you know, I, it, it stinks because the, there's no way he'll ever get debate time with uh, with Trump or Biden. Despite you know they'll they'll move the goalposts on on polling numbers again to make sure that he doesn't. But I would love to see him up there because I know he could talk circles around whatever sentences th- those two would fail to complete, and I, in it would be it would be interesting to see see him as you know as somebody that's you know recognized nationally as as running for president um i was going somewhere with it but i forgot my point it happens <laughs> relatable ponies <laughs> I just, and ponies ponies or um I, I, last i saw it was fl- replacing the murder hornets with flying murder ponies which is even more appealing yeah, I like that idea. I think we could use more flying murder ponies in this world than we could murder hornets. So yeah. I welcome the change. Yes. Sam murder must be a, mur- a murder a murder hornets fan or something. He's, <laughs> he's pretty pissed. There we go. Sam <laughs> loves murder hornets. <laughs> he does. He loves murder hornets. <laughs> So, you know, I did kind of have something to, you know, kind of ask as well. Um, you know, really, how how do we keep extreme factions from trying to either infiltrate or even feel comfortable, um, you know, in, in the party or even in libertarian circles? Um, you know, there's, you know, you know, acknowledgedly, you know, tankies, tankies on the left, there's, um, alt writers on the on the right and angry angry Eggman. <laughs> um, you know how do you how do you keep those people out? How do you make them look at you know s- let's say a, a bottom united group of people and go you no we how do you make them look like that? Like, like, like angry Stefan, um, you know, and just look at it and go, you, I don't want anything to do with it. And they go off and do their own thing and, you know, tweet communists at, you know, literally everybody who is to the left of shooting the homeless for sport. And, you know, how do you, how do you keep the, how do you keep them out? Well, I think what, you know, I, I don't think there's probably a single magic bullet, but what came to mind when you were formulating the question is um, kind of looking or just remembering back to what I said earlier about how like the bottom half is full of all these cool ideologies. And then there's like all these really gross, like authoritarian versions of them. And like, that's like, in that case, they're like a, a, a twisted perversion of ANCAPism. Um or maybe objectivism and cases are kind of a blend of that. But, um, you know, I think 
where I would kind of like, I guess who I would throw under the bus are like the Bill Well people and the Justin Amash people, because the idea that you're a purist, if you question why an authoritarian is like welcome in this space or like that you're just trying to make it into a debate club. If you like say, Hey, actually a border wall is not a good idea. Right. Like, or, you know, in other words, um, that idea is so toxic for one, because it's designed to allow ruling politicians to like swoop in and steal our ballot line. Um, and it's also designed to shame all of the people in the broader bottom who are, you know, and should be really excited about our ideas. Like liberty's a really cool idea. It's really exciting to imagine a world where, um, you know, my life isn't being ruined by people who think that they know better than I do how to ruin it. And trust me, I know how to ruin my life better than anyone, right? <laughs> I'm there with you. You know, if you get out of my way and stop making the world suck, I think I also know how to live my best life better than they know too. But my point being, um, we, I think just honoring our culture of like diversity of thought and freedom of conscience and, um, like reclaiming the idea that it's okay to be excited about liberty and to um, to turn that excitement um, into, you know, retention and education, right? So like the next time, and, and you know, like with Molyneux and then I think they were more libertarian and then they drifted away. So mm. maybe it's arguable that we were successful in pushing them away. Um, but on the flip side of that um, pipeline where they are coming in, like, it's okay for me to say, no, actually, a public school is an indoctrination camp um, where children are held by force against their will um, and against their parents' will for eight hours a day to be, you know, propagandized with a state-sanctioned curriculum. Like, it's actually okay for me to say that for a former Democratic voter. They are not so fragile that that's going to endanger somebody's plan to install Bill Weld next time. Like, that is not a good idea. So I think to answer your question, we just need to like make sure that we're defending that overall, I guess, conversion track that like needs to take place. Like we have to be continuously um, educating our newcomers, challenging those ideas. If someone's not willing to let go of them, then this party isn't a right fit for them. And it's okay to unrecruit them. You know, but a lot of the rest, if we're patient and kind and loving and compassionate and, you know, and continually presenting the ideas in their beautifulest form, then they will be converted and retained. So that's a good thing. Okay. Do we have anything else we'd like to talk about before we wrap up? You know, I just want to say, Mike, uh, followed you around there on the old facey page and all those areas for quite a while. It's nice to finally talk to you, kind of hear some of your ideas and good luck yeah. on your own. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, especially with the, some of the fights we've had in the past. Those got a little out of hand, but it was, it was good talking with you. Yeah, no, you know what? People always, not oh, people always, I have been approached many times at these state conventions that I went to. And the person's like, we had a fight on, Facebook, but I unblocked you and I'm so sorry. And I, <laughs> so many times, like, I don't quite remember the specific instance because there were like so many of them. And like, I let go of that a long time ago. Like, I think it would, it would have been more weird if that didn't happen because that was a shocking 
transition. So thank you. I'm glad we're like frenemies now. <laughs> Maybe yeah. even actual friends. Yeah. Yay. I'm only <laughs> friends too. So this is good. Hug it out, everyone. Did we just lose Mike? I think we did lose Mike. We did right at the very end. Well, you no, know, it was at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's exactly what it comes down to. Once Mike is gone, we're gone too. So let's go ahead and ride it out of here, guys. Thanks for joining us. Episode two, your faker Terrians on this May 16th, 2020. We'll be back in two weeks. If I don't die of a drug overdose. Good night. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Bye. Bye. This is Bye. what we call a fade out. Fading <laughs> <laughs> out now. Oh wait, 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 wait! Don't don't turn it off yet. Yeah, I'm not. We need we need we need Angry Tom Woods. Yeah, nope. we have Tommy. Yeah. Uh, there's Uncle <laughs> Tiny, oh, Tommy. Tommy, angry one. And with that said and done, I need a drink. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs>